0: Heidi there, ho, all you boys and girls out there in Radio Film School land. Just two quick notes before we get started, both of which are important because they'll help keep this podcast going.
1: Please listen carefully.
0: It takes an inordinate amount of work to put on a show like this, but I do it because, well, as you can probably tell from this show, I love to talk about myself. But on a more serious note, I also really love helping and inspiring other creatives. I always have. For all intents and purposes, this is public radio. And a way to keep us on the air is through listener support. And there are two key ways that you as a listener can support this show. First, consider becoming a premium member of Dare FM. If you appreciate these stories, the interviews, and the insights, and if you find yourself being inspired and encouraged, it would go a long way if you became a member. Currently, the introductory rate is only $5.95 a month. That's about the same price as a venti pumpkin spice latte. But here's the best part. In addition to all the warm fuzzies you will get from supporting the show, you will also get access to a suite of free resources to help you in your career and craft as a professional artist. For instance, just last week, I uploaded the simple spreadsheet that I've been using for years to create job estimates for clients. Also, online or videographer contract templates, a creative brief template, and ebooks like Understanding the Importance and Distinction Between Shutter Speed and Frame Rates. And every month, I continue to add additional resources. The other way you can help us out is by supporting our sponsor, Song Freedom. They have thousands of tracks from award winning musicians that you can legally use in your projects. They're the only US based site I know of where you can legally license songs from pop artists like Jason Mraz and Maroon 5. But they also have beautiful and inspiring cinematic tracks as well. Last week's short ends episode, It's Personal, was scored entirely with Song Freedom Music. So go to songfreedom.com slash radio and use the offer code radio and you'll unlock a one-time standard gold-level license valued at $30. That's songfreedom.com slash radio, offer code radio. And as usual, stay after the credits for another fun bonus. Today you will finally get to hear the story of how it was JD that prompted me to go into filmmaking full time. Okay, I think that's it. Now on with the show. You're listening to Dare Dreamer FM, the sound of creative expression.
2: You can dance, every dance with the guy who gives you the eye, let him hold you tight.
0: It was the summer of 77. I was in the fourth grade. Or was it the summer of 78 and I was in the fifth grade? Anyway, I was young. But even at such a young age, I had a sense of style.
2: So darling, say the last dance for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know.
0: I was a camper at Griffith Park Boys Camp, also known as Camp Griffo. Griffith Park is this huge park in the Los Angeles area. The Los Angeles Zoo is located near there, and it has mountain ranges, picnic areas, uh, trains that you can hop on and have a lot of fun at. It's very, very popular. Have you ever see one of those coming-of-age camping comedies where the counselors are loony and the kids go on crazy adventures? That was Camp Griffo, a week-long vacation from parents in a little boy's dreamland swimming and hiking every day, crazy antics, spooky stories by the campfire, pillow fights, bunk beds and wooden cabins, and all the camp grub you can eat. It was Friday, the end of the week, and a day before we'd have to leave our pre-pubescent heaven and head back to the realities of chores at home. As a celebration for the week, Camp Griffo organized a co-ed dance with the Hollywood Girls' Camp. Ooh la la! It involved traversing over the mountain range in which the Hollywood sign is located. In fact, hiking to that iconic landmark was part of our itinerary that day. I think we had lunch there or something. It was going to be an all afternoon trek. Now, if you recall from episode four, your first time, I shared my advent that was the name of the title, that wasn't your first time. Anyway, I shared in that episode how my adventures in love started at a rather early age. The second grade to be exact. So by now, I'm already a good two to three years into hopeless romanticism and fawning over cute girls. So the idea of arriving at a camp full of them was rather exciting. And I wanted to make sure I looked good. So against the repeated recommendations of my camp counselor, I decided to wear an all-white outfit on the hike. For some reason that totally eludes me, I was under the insane impression that I could hike five or so miles up and over the dusty, smoggy Los Angeles hillside through trees, rocks, the old original abandoned Los Angeles Zoo in an all-white outfit and arrive with said outfit not getting dirty. what the hell was I thinking? Now, you gotta picture this. A little afro-headed black kid with a part down the side white short-sleeved shirt with large pointy collars, white bell-bottom jeans a la Michael Jackson from the Jackson 5. Chances are I probably had a little fake gold chain too. Now picture that same kid five or six hours later in a now brown outfit, jacked up head, filthy face, and scarred up ashy elbows. Uh, for my white and Asian friends in the audience, ashy elbows are when dark-skinned people get that white covering over their dry skin. It's what made Jurgens Lotion a multi-billion dollar industry. After all the work hiking to the girls' camp, they had to drive me back to Camp Griffo to get a change of clothes since I didn't bring one. All because I wanted to arrive in style. So my fellow filmmaking friends, how far are you willing to go in order to have style? That is the question we're addressing today. I'm Ron Dawson. And this is Radio Film School.
2: A giant, hairy creature, part ape, part man. Indians call him Sasquatch. The area now known as Ape Canyon is one of the many places in the Northwest where man continues his hunt for this elusive creature we call Bigfoot. This series presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The producer's purpose is to suggest some possible explanations, but not necessarily the only ones, to the mysteries we will examine.
0: Don't worry. Strange forces from outer space have not taken over this podcast, nor have there been any technical difficulties. This is still Radio Film School, but I thought that clip would be a fun way to introduce the topic. It's an opening to the popular 70s investigative documentary series called In Search Of, hosted and narrated by Mr. Spock himself, Leonard Nimoy. I thought the reference to In Search Of was apropos, because what we're looking for is in some way as elusive as Bigfoot. This idea of having a signature style. It's elusive not so much as in trying to prove that it exists, we can empirically see that it does, but elusive in so much that sometimes it's hard to pinpoint how to find it for oneself. So, as Fräulein Maria inspired the Von Trapp children, let's start at the beginning. My beginning, to be exact. Hello, Mr. Dawson. How are you?
2: Von, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. It's been a long time.
2: Yes, it has
0: been. That voice you hear is that of Zach Leisha. He was head of the film department at De Anza College, the community college where I learned filmmaking. He was there at the time I attended. He actually founded the department back in the mid-70s. He's now partially retired. But you know how you go back to your 10, 15, or even 20-year reunion and you see the same teachers there that were there when you first went to school? Teachers who had already seemingly been there forever, even back when you were a student? That's how it was for me when I reached out to Zaki, now 21 years later from when I first went to school there. Thanks for uh, doing this. I'm excited to talk to you.
2: Well, same here. Well, it's one of my favorite topics. I, I love talking about movies and, and filmmaking and how people actually interact with it and so forth.
0: I know it was a long time ago, but do you remember me as a student? Like, what kind of student was I?
2: Well, I tell you, you were very promising in the sense that I, what I liked about, and that's why I remember you, is that your are and also the fact that you were very methodical in your in your projects, uh, And I said, you know, this is what it takes. It takes someone who is very focused. And that was definitely demonstrated in your study.
0: As you can see, Zaki is a very, very wise man. <laughs> but seriously, I always loved Zaki's passion and take on filmmaking.
2: Again, I started out on nothing, and I got better doing it. it, it and, and that is basically the secret of filmmaking. Hmm. Filmmaking is an experiential art form. In other words anybody who thinks they're going to read about it uh that it's not going to happen you make whatever you have to make you put a camera in there or tripod and film something and then you make a mistake and you say aha i'm not going to do that again or i'm going to do this differently now you're a filmmaker in other words take whatever you learn from that experience to advance where you are what's very important for a lot of filmmakers is that they identify um their voice i mean let's face it i mean like everybody uses the same kind of cameras i mean i mean a sony versus a canon versus a panasonic i mean they're not going to be that radically different but who uses them how they're used is entirely up to the filmmaker and that's where you know what, what being special being unique and what being an artist is all about
0: It's with that comment from Zachy, we open the door to the topic I've been planning to address in earnest throughout this whole season, finding your voice as a filmmaker and developing a signature style. But what is style? How do you define it? And why is it important? These questions are too deep and broad to be covered in just a single episode. For purposes of this discussion, I'm characterizing style as that quality of a piece of art that distinguishes it and or the artist from other pieces of art. The more signature or unique the style, the easier it is to pinpoint the artist. There are some filmmakers whose style was so signature, their names become adjectives to describe that style. That's when I hear someone say something like, that thriller was very Hitchcockian, or so-and-so's visual direction was very Kubrickian. J.J. Abrams' Super 8 was described as being Spielbergian. Over the past five months, I've spoken to dozens of filmmakers and other artists to get their take on the topic. We'll hear from about two to three filmmakers each episode and hear how they develop their style, their take on the master filmmakers will be studying, and advice on how you can develop your own style. Assuming a style, quote-unquote, is something you can even develop. But let's start with the obvious first question. Why should I care?
3: Yeah, I did go to film school. I went to USC, um, and it was a hard fought to get into that program. That's award-winning filmmaker Kevin Shahinian. I also did a summer program at NYU, and never in a million years did I think I would end up shooting weddings. It's like the farthest thing from my mind when uh, you know I thought about my future. Um, but it's just something that I kind of fell into. Really, in any business, not just filmmaking, but like any kind of creative
0: business, the more that you can create a signature look and feel and style to your work, the more successful you can be. And, and success doesn't necessarily mean financial success. It could be, you know, creative success for sure, but it could also mean, you know, financial success in terms of, you know, what you're able to charge because your work stands out and, you know, being able to go against the commoditization of filmmaking. A lot of your work currently is in the wedding event world, but you also have like this really strong foundation and a comprehension of the film language. Like, you know, like you, you use words like mise en scene and you know what it means and you actually apply it to your work. You know, as a filmmaker or any artist really, for that matter, is working to create their style, how much of that is like actually intentional where a filmmaker sits down and they start thinking okay what kind of style do I want to have versus kind of you know just making the shot list you want to make and having certain visual imagery in your mind and kind of putting that in real life and then having it be sort of I guess organic if you will as opposed to intentional. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I'm gonna ask that question.
3: Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Um, You know, how much are are you actually um, in sort of the pre-visualization of your storytelling, coming up with your style intentionally? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, And I don't know, like, you know, I, I, I I don't. I mean, watching films and being a lover of films is is so important to being a good filmmaker. I think it's probably the the foundation of. Of being a great filmmaker Um, but then it's a double-edged sword in that you know you're absorbing all of this film content and all these other directors and filmmaker styles that then it becomes you know are you unintentionally borrowing and how are you are you aware that you're doing it Uh, and and, you know really creating an original voice and style becomes the challenge um, when you're absorbing all of these other films from these great great filmmakers Kevin's
0: words definitely have a nugget of truth. First, I totally agree that to be a great filmmaker, you need to be a lover of great films. That involves watching great films. But Kevin's warning about how that can influence your work, maybe even on a subconscious level, bears serious consideration.
4: Well, I mean, you have that, that old, overused line of good artists borrow, great artists
0: steal. That's the voice of Ryan Conley, host of the YouTube DIY filmmaking show Film Right. In my conversation with Ryan, He shares how a recent short horror film he shot was incredibly
4: influenced by Hitchcock's Psycho, and he didn't even realize it. That's true to a big point, because what's inspiration other than you're kind of stealing what other people have done, you know, and I I, I just watched uh, Psycho. Uh, again, with my little sisters who had never seen it before, and I never realized how much subconsciously I stole from that movie when I was making Tell. The whole sequence uh, when uh, she dies into uh, Norman, you know, wrapping up the body and getting rid of it—it it is so close to a lot of the things that I was doing in Tell. And I didn't even realize that because I wasn't even watching it before the film. I was watching a bunch of films to inspire me before we shot it. And I was, I was watching like The Orphanage, uh, Sixth Sense, The Others, uh, Pan's Labyrinth, things like that um, to sort of inspire me. I, I wasn't watching that one, uh, but it left such a mark on me that it's, it's so clear in Tell how much I was influenced by Psycho uh, when I was making Tell. Um, to where there's a few shots where it's like, oh my God, that's like paced and exactly like what happens in time. And it wasn't even on purpose, but it was totally stealing from Hitchcock. Um, and I mean, even if you go and watch Spielberg films, there's plenty of stealing from people that came before, be before him. So, I mean, I I think there, as long as it's not plagiarism, you know, (laughs) there's a difference between stealing, I feel like, and plagiarism. We call it stealing, but it's not really stealing. It's like, you know, I feel like it is that inspiration or those nods to, um, to, to the the filmmakers that did inspire you um so yeah man i mean i'm i'm totally cool with it until it becomes distracting until it's like hey this person just did this you know <laughs> but when it becomes this whole you know oh man we haven't seen something like this since the 60s uh it becomes exciting and fresh and sort of that fusion idea that i was talking about before but i love the perspective that kevin brings back to the table
3: In the creation of art, um, it's all subjective. There's no right answer to how do you create a style, and is this style, you know, uh, is this style authentic or good or whatever? Because we have these filmmakers who are, you know, intentionally borrowing, like Tarantino, um, and and you know their their films are called great, and they they have put their own original spin on things. But there's clearly uh, things that are being borrowed. So when you think about your style as a filmmaker, was it something that was sort of like an intentional thing like for you like how would you describe your the development of your own style you know mostly out of a necessity to stand out in the wedding and event video production industry you're not creating anything you're just capturing what's in front of your camera you know you have very little very little um influence over the actual story so my style kind of developed out of a a, a need to want to do that and that being my strength as a sort of narrative production filmmaker and it's very funny because I kind of like trace the the style of Hollywood directors for the last 10 years and what I've been trying to do and like how they kind of like crossing each other in the air so to speak where Hollywood has been taking great effort to create this documentary style for their 100 million dollar movies um, and making things like found footage films and you know, multi-cam and shaky cam and make everything look like it's being captured in the moment, whereas I and others have been bringing a very cinematic polish to a live event.
0: You know, apart from just, okay, applying this Hollywood slash Bollywood style to the wedding and event filmmaking, is there something specific in how you shoot or how you compose or how you make it that you feel kind of like speaks specifically to you?
3: I don't know if I can put my finger on it uh, as finely, um, but I do, I do think that uh, it's super important to not only develop a voice, but kind of lend your point of view and interpret things. Uh, to me, that has the most value uh, in terms of selling, your, selling yourself as a filmmaker.
0: I did notice in a number of my discussions with filmmakers, when asked what their style was, they couldn't necessarily pinpoint it.
4: Uh, A bunch of people tell me that I have a unique style, but I can't see it.
0: In the final segment of the show, we'll return to this conversation with Ryan as I help him to see his work and style in a way he probably never has before. Previously, on a bonus segment of the show. I think one area where you see style for sure is in acting and actors. And like everyone else who had who did well, who read for the role, kind of played a certain way that for me, kind of felt stereotypical, angry black woman. Uh-huh. And like Miata was the only one who
1: who did this really subdued,
0: reserved. And it,
1: to me, she had a style hurt herself, which was True. very. Is her line, which we still laugh about today, like "Did you sleep with her?" And it was like a very valley girlish. Oh my god!
0: That's the unmistakable voice of my good friend and frequent guest star JD Cochran. And sorry, but I'm not going to make a self-referential comment about being Carlton from Fresh Prince. So if you're getting ready to take a sip of a drink, you're out of luck. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, forget about it. Wait, wait, no, 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 dude, no, you're remembering that wrong. That was not Miata. Who said that? I don't
1: remember her name. No, 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 it's in the (laughs) GoldenCasture film. I can't, it's on (laughs) High (laughs) 80.
0: That excerpt was from a discussion he and I had when we discussed my very first scripted short film project, Just Friends, on which he was the DP and co-producer. In a subsequent Skype call with JD, he brought up the topic of Just Friends again, specifically a debate about how my actress did or did not deliver a certain line. He and his wife, Yolanda, swear up and down when she said it like a valley girl. And to this day, they tease me about it. He brings it up again here in this discussion.
1: Oh, and I talked to Yolanda, too, about Miata. Oh, no. Said, totally, was in the film. She's like, he's crazy. That was in the film. <laughs> That's how we clown him. Dead what? joke. Stay with her. Oh,
0: my God. All right, I'm going to find it. I, you I, don't
1: find it. I guarantee I, you it's in the film. That what you remember, she might have done it worse. Somebody else might have hit it harder, but that's in the film, the way she did it. She's okay. like, Joe, save it hard. I, I am
0: going, because I, I found, found
1: you to this day. I found the. That was one of
0: the funniest okay, I got deliveries ever. <laughs> I found the I found like the bag of old high eight tapes from like all the auditions and all the raw footage. No, no,
1: I want you to get the the film, and I, I challenge no, you no. to
0: put it on your put it on your website. Well, I don't know if I can because it has copyrighted music. In it. that was before I knew about copyrighted hey, music. Kind of. Ooh, oh
1: yeah, What would you have like?
0: Oh, I had like, um, uh, I had "Let's Get It On" by Marvin Gaye was the opening song. Hey, you got the
1: footage. Uh, you
0: know that would actually make a good segue into our sponsor segment. Now you know why, in the last main episode of the show, I opened the Just Friends discussion segment with Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On. 1. It was a callback to the opening song of my first film back then. 2. It was a subconscious nod that JD and I were about to get into yet another debate. And 3. It fit the whole love theme. Thanks to Song Freedom's podcast license, I was able to legally use that song in the episode. We've been speaking about wedding filmmaking a lot lately. And if you shoot them professionally, you know that one of the issues you deal with is using popular songs in your clients' videos. Song Freedom is the only US-based licensing company where you can license classic love tunes from the likes of Marvin Gaye and Etta James. Or maybe you want to use Jackson 5's Dancing Machine for a reception segment. Or maybe you'd want to use this song. If you're shooting any kind of a personal event video, or if you have a podcast and need some recognizable tunes, you can use these pop songs legally. But Song Freedom also has beautiful cinematic tracks like this. These and thousands of other tunes can be used for any kind of corporate or personal film project. And if you go to songfreedom.com radio and use offer code radio, you can get a standard GOAT level license valued at $30. We thank Song Freedom for their support.
1: Sounds like I I feel a re edit coming on, a director's cut. (laughs) I would challenge you just put that scene online. You don't have to put the film, just put the scene online. (laughs) I'm going to look for the scene. I know I have the (laughs) Yeah, you go on it. And then get back at me. Get back at me, Yolanda, Adu. Get back at us.
0: I will. I will. The point I was making before I was interrupted.
4: Like sometimes I get distra- uh, um, discouraged by, you know, we talk about voice and stuff and it's like, do I have my own? Am I just this like all over the place filmmaker?
0: That's Ryan Connolly again, picking up where we left off. But before we get back to him, let me stop and ask you this artistic existential question. Do you have a style? Are you just an all over the place filmmaker? Do you feel encouraged or discouraged after hearing these stories and interviews? Don't worry, you are not alone. Even those artists that we look up to and admire are at times uncertain.
4: And I try not to really think or focus on that. I just try to, you know, uh, stay true to what I want to do and not try to be anyone else. If something excites me and I'm like, ah, I want to make this, I want to give this experience to an audience. I just follow that. I don't try to, be anything else and I, I guess that's staying true to my own voice It's I think it's really hard, I mean I'm, maybe other people can but it's like it's sort of like when you watch yourself back or hear yourself back after you've been on like when I listen to this podcast I'm like oh that's what my voice sounds like, oh, know. <laughs> you know what I mean it, it, it's sort of like that artistically too where it's like I can't see it um, but other people tell me it's there and, I, and I'm like, sure, I'll just have to take your word for it. Because for me, I feel like, well, I did a horror with Tell, which was totally different than the action thriller of Proximity, which was totally different from the sci-fi comedy of UFO. Yeah, and, and I follow you know, genre and style. I sort of follow what the story wants. But for me, it just feels like, I don't know. What is my voice and style? I, I don't know.
0: What would be the consistent element in each one of the films you just
4: mentioned? (sighs) That's so difficult. Um, Don't overthink it. I really like playing with thematic ideas of like people are monsters. You know, we're all a monster inside. It's just what's going to trigger that to come out. You know, Proximity is a great example of that because you have the 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 villains that are the monsters up front, but then you have the hero who is made to become a monster to survive. But as as far as like style or voice goes, I, I really don't know. I think the point I wanted to make and I think you really
0: touched on it here was uh, I mean oftentimes I think when filmmakers or artists particularly filmmakers when they hear the word style or when they're asked what's your style they immediately go to like either visuals and I think that there is something to style that's beyond just the visuals like the, beyond the composition and the lighting and like you said like each one of the themes that you I mean, each one of the films that you produce has this theme of, like, the monster inside. And I think that is a part of your style. So, like, regardless of the genre, like, regardless if you're doing a comedy or an action or or whatnot, there's this theme that comes out in your films that relates to some, like you said, the monster inside. And I think that, I think that is a style.
4: Yeah, that's interesting.
0: You know, if you think about Quentin Tarantino, I think a big part of his quote-unquote style is his writing. Like you don't necessarily see it; it's you hear it and you feel it based on what he's writing. And I'm learning that, and this is something I've been thinking about for a while. That you know, style is so much more than that—the visual flair that you use. You know, you know, whether JJ Abrams and you're, you know, literally using flair, or whether you're <laughs> Quentin Tarantino and you have a flair in your writing. You do see with a lot of filmmakers this idea of themes that seem to come up a lot for them, and. Uh, I don't know. I, th- I think that's something you should exp- you explore more. Especially when you talk about, you're always thinking about the emotional experience, right? And I think an emotional experience for any filmmaker, a big part of that will be, okay, how do we relate to the characters? And if the characters creating are creating or these ones that are, are wrestling or releasing demons and monsters inside, whether literally or figuratively, I think that's something that is like worth like exploring further. So, where do you go from here? What is an artist to do if they feel lost, or are just embarking on this journey? Well, there are two great pieces of advice worth heeding. The first comes from Kevin and again.
3: One of my favorite tips um, when someone told me is, you know, when you're watching your favorite film, instead of asking how something was done a particular shot, ask why it was done that right there you know that sort of mindset really helps you understand the motivation behind the artistic choice and understanding what you're seeing and and, and, you know obviously we're talking about hollywood film now or you know whatever whether it be tv or or feature uh understanding that everything you're seeing was a deliberate artistic decision um and that nothing's sort of like we hope wasn't accidental um and then asking yourself why was it done this way what is the filmmaker trying to say Um, And then, you know, as much as you're absorbing that type of content, looking away from moving pictures and looking at paintings and music and, you know, just literature and different types of storytelling outside of filmmaking, um, and then asking yourself, you know, what influences me? What sort of, what am I into? What sparks my curiosity? Like, what things do I respond to? And then trying to kind of, like... Understand yourself on a like emotional level to to sort of I guess construct what you're trying to communicate as an artist.
0: I love this advice. It reminds me of a challenge I would often pose to the readers of my blog. To refrain from looking at any work that is within your field or genre, and instead look at other art forms for inspiration. It's definitely worth exploring. I call it the Comparison Kills Creativity Challenge. We'll close with a word from a friend of mine and the filmmaker behind the documentary Legends of the Night, Brett Cope. Brett spent two years creating a documentary about the power and influence the story of Batman has on inspiring people with life-threatening illnesses. The buzz and popularity of the film was such that rebel filmmaker and uber-podcaster himself, Kevin Smith, invited Brett and his wife onto his show to discuss the film. Here is was Brett's answer when I asked him for insight on developing a signature style.
5: I think the most important thing is to create a bunch of stuff. Hmm. Um, just like be creating all the time. Even if you don't have clients to be creating it for, keep creating. Because my style today is the result of trial and error, of finding what I was good at, finding what I loved, finding what worked. Finding what excited people, and I think that that it's it's never about um, selling out as an artist, but it is about finding the intersection between your passion and what the world needs. I've done, you know, dozens and dozens of different projects in my life, and invested time and energy into them, and then shared them with the world, and nobody cared. And it wasn't because they didn't care about me or my work, it was because even though I was passionate about that thing, it didn't resonate with them the way it resonated with me. But then I created and shared this Legends of the Night project and it went berserk. And why did it go berserk? Because my passion had intersected with the needs of the world. I don't think in some ways as artists like we are, the trick is to over strategize and overthink I think the trick is to keep creating and keep sharing until you create something that you, not only are you passionate about, that really, but that also really connects and resonates with others. And when you find that place, you've, you've found the place where you can not only be yourself, but also be celebrated as yourself. And when you find that place, then I think that's the place you live.
0: Whether you're a filmmaker, a photographer, a musician, or any kind of artist, you're only going to grow and develop if you make stuff. A lot of stuff. Make the stuff that you want to be known for. Don't worry if it's not exactly as you envision it in your head. Because here's a newsflash for you. Unless you can get a Spielbergian size budget, chances are it will rarely, if ever, look exactly as you have it in your head. And you know what? That's okay. Because you will be growing. And in the wonderful world of filmmaking, the journey is always the most important thing. In fact, I would hazard to guess, and I would dare to say, that the journey is the only thing. There is no destination. So make your journey count. Speaking of journeys, I'm very excited about what we have coming down the pike this season on the show. We are going to dig deep into what makes some of the most iconic filmmakers tick as I get into cinephile, geek-loving discussions with my guests. We're gonna cover filmmakers like Hitchcock.
5: Because he had worked in advertising before he even got into films. Yeah, he
0: was a graphic artist. Tarantino. When Reservoir Dogs came out, I don't think anyone was saying, I wonder what Tarantino's style is. Like, that movie was so signature that... Sure,
4: but I think the movie was signature, but I don't think that determines
2: the style.
0: The Coen Brothers.
2: The Coen Brothers guys, to me, are more inventive and more original than most filmmakers because they're doing these different genres and even within genres, they're they're doing things that are unique to those genres.
0: Wes Anderson. I feel like it was...
3: Sort of the, the sense of control again that you know that Anderson had over the frame and, and the music and it was just like so well orchestrated. Gotta get Spike
1: Lee in there. I don't think the Sal is necessarily a racist. No, neither do I. But Spike does. I mean, and that really shocked me because I didn't think the Sal was a racist. Like I, you gotta be careful with the word racist, because like sure. to me it's like what is race?
0: And we'll even touch on more obscure artists like Max Ophels.
5: So Max O'Fools is doing all this stuff with the moving camera before he had access to any of the any of these tools. So you might be totally uh, you know, totally bored, you know, by a Max O'Fools film as a whole, but if you study his moving camera, you will learn everything you need to know about what makes a moving camera shot successful.
0: And we're gonna to continue to bring you ancillary topics during our shortens interim shows. Get ready for a wild and exciting ride.
2: May God bless and keep you always May your wishes all come true
0: This episode of Radio Film School was written and produced by me with production help from Lucas Randall Owens, Tommy Ferguson, and Chris Husledge. Music for this show was curated from freemusicarchive.org. "Say the Last Dance, Dancing Machine, Party Rock Anthem, the cinematic piece at the end of the sponsor segment, and Bob Dylan's Forever Young were courtesy of Song Freedom links to tracks and artists are in the show notes go to songfreedom.com radio and use offer code radio to get a one-time standard gold level license valued at thirty dollars follow me on twitter at daredreamerfm, and you can follow the show at radio film school if you're really enjoying the show and you're getting a lot out of it please leave us a rating and a review on itunes we're still hanging in there in the top 20 and every now and then we make it to the top 10 of our category if we can make it to number one again i'll do a special regular length episode of the show we can do it but only if you rate and review tell your friends and family too hey that rhymes Next week, we'll have another shortened segment, and the week after, we'll come back to this theme of style. Be sure to visit the blog post for this episode if you want to check out photos of me from the 5th grade, afro, part and all. There's even a 5th grade picture day photo, which kind of gives you an insight into my 70s style. That's all for this week. Remember, if the story sucks, I don't care what you shot it with, what you cut it on, or even what your style is. Actually, I might care if your style is real cool. In today's bonus segment, we come to everyone's favorite segment of the show, my whimsical, wistful, often nonsensical, but always comical interactions with my good friend JD. I also like to call this show, How to Be a Black Filmmaker in the 90s. So here's the thing, JD was the inspiration for me to actually make the leap of faith into doing filmmaking full-time professionally. The very first time that I had called him, I had planned to ask him about that fateful evening. However... Because we tend to go off topic and follow tangents like a dog chases squirrels, it would be the third or fourth hour-long phone call before we actually get to the topic that I originally planned to talk to him about in the first place. The topic of what he said that prompted me to pursue filmmaking full-time. Here we go. So one of the things that I've been wanting to talk to you about is, um, you know, I've written in my bio how, like, you were the impetus for me starting video uh, uh, video production professionally.
1: Mm-hmm. And you say you don't remember the story. So- <laughs> I, I still am drawing a blank right now. I'm like, <laughs> okay, we're fine. I'm like excited like the audience. Okay, yeah, we're going to hear it. This? <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, so it was January 2012. I mean 2012. <laughs> January 2002. And so we were at the tail end of one of our usual three, four-hour – conversations slash discussions slash debates about right. something. I knew we were talking about filmmaking because it's what prompted this question. I was talking about my passion for filmmaking, wanting to do it. And you said, you know, so like like, what do you want to do career-wise? And I said, well, like ultimately I want to write a feature film and do a feature film. And at the time I was working at Intuit, a business marketing manager. And you said, okay, cool, cool. So how, how are you going to do that at Intuit? And it was like this profound moment where it was like, okay, <laughs> um, that's a good point. Because um, my original plan, like the way I was thinking it would go down, would be like, because I was making a really good salary. It was yeah. Like six, at Intuit, like six, I'm like,
5: you
1: idiot, you left Intuit. What did you. <laughs> um,
0: I was making a good salary, but I went, but I was, and I was doing these videos at Intuit for fun for like the department and stuff and my plan was to like work it into it and then like write a feature film script on the side and then get it then they like get discovered and then like have this then like get signed on by a studio and then when i get signed on by a studio i would quit into it like that was my plan right how many filmmakers do you know I right, know
1: could... it's a common path that's uh, <laughs> like... <laughs> Right. I work at McDonald's, you know, wherever and you work at some job. Right. Uh, work on the side, you know. You just whoop-de-whoop, you know, scribble a script together, <laughs> right. slide it on in to exact. Eureka! And the Next thing it. you know, you've got a you got a five picture deal at like Sony. Some- <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: So, so basically, the the message was like, if you really want to be serious about this, you really got to dive in. And, um, like, at the time, the name of my company was, like, uh, like Jump Creek Entertainment. And it was about, like, jump – like, basically, it was – yeah, it was about jumping over your fears and facing your fears. And and I was – and you had said, you're not even living up to the name of your company because you're too afraid to just do it. And, like, I think that was, like, the thing that, like, really put me <laughs> over. It's like no, – That's a bitch. <laughs> right. Okay, I'm going to have to put the E
1: explicit – logo on this itunes <laughs> kids might want to leave the room now
0: <laughs> I'm joking um so that's so that is so after that like i went to my boss i don't know if it was the next day or the next week i went to my boss and i said i want to quit and i want to be a filmmaker and actually it was cool about it because he already knew that was something i was passionate about and he like laid me off because he knew there was gonna be some layoffs at the time and uh-huh so i got to be put in that layoff Category or whatever, and so I got like a nice severance package, and oh, that's cool. And I technically like didn't leave until like May of that uh-huh. year, but but during that time, I was kind of like a lame duck. I was like, you know, I know I'm going to be leaving, and right, you know, I know I'm going to get a severance package, and it was like senioritis set in, kind <laughs> totally, of like yeah, yeah. And it was kind of it was it was really a blessing too because I didn't like my severance package and my insurance covered me all the way through August. Of that year which was the day I got married mm-hmm. the month I got married and, and right. my wife was going to be taking a job uh, as a teacher in California and her insurance was going to kick in mm-hmm. so as my insurance coverage was ending hers would be kicking in and right. then we'd be running right. off for salary so
1: so now that you know you were the inspiration for me starting a
0: filmmaker. How does that I make you I feel? do
1: remember. I do remember having. I didn't realize that it made that big of an impact on you. I thought that uh, cause I, cause yeah, because I because even you, at quit the time
0: six figure job thanks gee. no no no
1: because at the time you were already it seemed like waffling or you know like you were like you know I could tell you already wanted to do this stuff. I mean that's why we're having a conversation. You were right. I I didn't feel like I pushed you over. I felt like you were like <laughs> you know already there. Uh, well, I, I don't know, maybe not But we it well, was, no, I mean, was. I mean, we had a my... long conversation about it And I didn't realize it. Uh, that my words were Because, you know, if you would have told me Somebody else inspired you whatever I would have been, oh yeah, it makes sense Because we talked about it you know, But I didn't know that it was You're you're attributing me to being uh, a primary force in that And I'm like, huh, okay I didn't, yeah. I didn't realize that I was But I, I hope it worked out for you Don't yeah. hold it against me I mean, the yeah, it did cause brain... you Six figure, yeah. I, if I I'd not known you were gonna do that, I'd been wrong. What you want to do is stay into it for about. First of all, buy a lot of stock and into it as long as you can while you're there. Stay there for like you know five or six years, maybe ten. Work on that script <laughs> right. on the side, like you're talking about, uh-huh. you know. And then you know, see see what happens. So the year I started my business,
0: I quit my job, got married, became a stepdad, and started the business all in the same summer. Not necessarily the path I would recommend but it's worked okay for me so far. In my conversation with Ryan, he shares how a recent short film In my conversation with Ryan, he shares how a recent short horror film he recent. In my conversation with Ryan, he shares how a recent short horror film he shot was incredibly influenced by Hitchcock's Psycho, and he didn't even realize it.